The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. All right, well, good morning. My name is Chase, and I am one of the pastors here, and it's good to be with you. We've got a a great team that I get the privilege of leading, and it's been encouraging to me to hear from them, and I'm encouraged to be back with you in the Word today. Just a couple of things to remember as we prayed. Pray for our students headed out to to Impact Camp, um, that they go and have a great time in the Lord and get ready. One of the things that Gary DeSalvo, our founding pastor, used to say often um, is find a place to grow and find a place to serve at TBC. I've seen lots of new faces and I want to tell you, we want you to find a place to grow and find a place to serve and growth happens through small groups at TBC. We've got some Sunday morning environments that we'll be ramping up in the coming weeks. Those really are meant to also move you into smaller community that we call small groups. If you're not in a small group, get in a small group. It's a great place to grow. And then find a place to serve. One of the best places to serve is in our launch pad ministry. An incredible privilege of discipling the next generation of believers in the Lord. I got two sons still in the launch pad and it just brings such joy to my heart. They're men and women speaking the gospel to them week after week. If you don't have a place to serve, that's a great place to serve. Well, we're continuing in our series, The Good and Gracious King, through the book of Mark. And at TBC, that's kind of what we do. Every once in a while, we'll do a topical series, but usually we teach through books of the Bible. Bible is not our middle name by accident. We're a Temple Bible Church. We believe that The Bible is the word of God. It's living and active. There's power for life and godliness that we learn from it as we see Jesus there. So as we've looked at Mark, one of the things that we've seen is the love and authority of Jesus Christ. Now, when you hear love and authority in our culture, these words don't tend to go together really well in the minds of a lot of people, but actually they go together wonderfully. I think they go together well in parenting. They go together well when it comes to the gospel. If you think about it, there are parents who have a whole lot of authority, but not a lot of love. We've seen it. It's ugly. It's harsh. It's not good. It's this idea. I'll tell my kids I love them when I think they need to hear it, right? Then we've also seen a sort of parenting that's more friendship than parenting. There's a whole lot of love, but never any boundary or authority. Well, neither of those things work really well, but parents who, who give appropriate boundary out of love, that's a beautiful thing. Well, in Jesus Christ, we see the love of God and the power or authority of God displayed, and it's a beautiful thing. So as we've walked through Mark so far, we've seen this love and authority show that Jesus is Lord of all creation. We've seen that he's Lord of the Sabbath. We've seen that he's Lord of the seeds. He's Lord of the the soils. We've seen that he is Lord of the storms. We've seen that he's Lord of the swine. And we've seen that he's Lord of the spirits. Well, today... We're going to see that he's Lord of the sick and he is Lord of the sleeping. Let me apologize that my guy up there doesn't have a mask on. Y'all forgive that, right? So we're in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. So far, over and over and over, we find Jesus, the Son of Man, to be the friend of sinners. 
We find him to be the healer of the hurting and the herald of the gospel of the kingdom. And we're going to see that again today. Let's read some of our texts that we're going to study today. We'll start in Mark 5, 21. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered. He was beside the sea, and then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who'd had a discharge of blood for 12 years. She had suffered much under many physicians, spent all she had. She wasn't getting better, but she was getting worse. And she, she thought to herself, if I just touch his garment, if I just touch his garments, I'll be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And be healed of your disease. Well, God, we thank you for the beauty of Jesus. We thank you for the love of God he expresses. We thank you for your authority that he displays. And God, we pray, Lord, today that we would see our need to turn to him and trust in him. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this text that we're going to study is kind of like a sandwich. It starts with, with Jairus, and he's concerned about his daughter who's near death. In the middle is this episode with this woman with the issue of blood. And then at the end, we'll look at Jairus and his daughter again. And, and I think it's this beautiful picture for us because you've got Jairus who is kind of high in society. He's the ruler of the synagogue. He should have easy access to God. And then you've got this woman who's unclean. She's got an issue of blood. She will have been looked down upon because of her sickness. It would seem like she doesn't have really great access to God. And so whether you're at a place in life where you think, oh, this is really easy. You ought to have close access to God. What you need to know is not without Jesus. You really desperately need Jesus and he will be there for you. And if you feel like, oh, I'm so far away, God could never love me, he could never help me, he could never save me, what you need to know is Jesus is right there and he is powerful enough and loving enough to act on your behalf, whether you're close or far away. And we're gonna see that in a worried father that Jesus hears, a sick woman that Jesus sees, and a sleeping girl that Jesus speaks to. Let's start with this worried father that Jesus hears. There are two things that we see when we see the love and authority of Jesus. We see that his power is connected to his pity. His kindness is connected to his kingliness. He's going to care for those in troubled situations and he's gonna do that as, as the God of creation. We can turn to Jesus. Great crowds are following him, and then Jairus comes up to him, and we're told that he fell at his feet. He fell at his feet, just like the demoniac had in the first half of Mark chapter 5. This guy who's unclean and outcast, a Gentile, falls at the feet of Jesus. He's 
Lord of the Gentiles. He's Lord of the Jews. Jairus falls at his feet. He fell at his feet and he implored him earnestly. He says, come touch her so that. See, this is a, an interesting moment, I think, because there's this swell of opposition to Jesus among the Jewish leaders and these would have been Jairus's bosses. They would have been in authority over him. But concern for what they thought ends up getting overwhelmed by distress of his circumstance and ultimately by, by love for his daughter. It presses beyond his fears. He cries out to Jesus because of his daughter, Luke, as he tells this story, says this was his only daughter. He's the ruler of the synagogue and he needs Jesus. Well, there's something that Mark wants us to understand. He's this symbol of Israel, a leader in Israel, and the kingdom of God is at hand and Israel is missing it. In Mark 1, Jesus said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's imperfect, passive tense. It's been coming up until now. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is at hand, repent, and the Jews aren't repenting. And the ruler of the synagogue needs this man. Israel has missed its king, but maybe Jairus hasn't. Can you imagine how desperate he must have been? I wonder what would it take for you some of you wrestling right now with what it would mean to truly and really follow Jesus, to drop your protocols, to lay aside your fear of people, your concern of standing. What are people gonna think of me if I do this? If they knew the struggle I was having, what's going on in my heart, what's going on at home, what's going on at work, what's going on in my mind, what would it take for you to run in desperation to Jesus Christ? See, for Jairus, it takes his daughter at the brink of death. What would it take for you? I was talking to someone this week wrestling with this very thing and he, he said, it sounds like you're saying this will cost me everything. And I said, that is exactly what I'm saying. But it's worth what it costs because we can trust Jesus. He implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Jairus is trusting Jesus to save her. And he went with him. He went with him. He believed Jesus could act uniquely, exclusively in a way that no one else could to help his daughter. So his humility in verse 22, he fell at his feet, is matched by his desperation in verse 23. She's at the point of death. And Jesus went with him. Kind of, right? There's this worried father and Jesus hears, there's a sick woman and Jesus sees, it would seem that this is an interruption. What you, you find out if you love people, you serve the Lord, sometimes life's interruptions are God's invitations and, and the father is giving the son an invitation to touch this woman. The crowd's thronging about him and there, there are two things that stick out to me in this situation as he stops to care for this woman. One is the urgency of the situation. He looks over at Jairus and goes, hey, hang on just a second. Well, wait, wait a second, my daughter's about to die. No, no, it'll be okay, you just hang on just a second. How would you react? How would you respond to that? The second is that this woman is unclean and there are these Hebrew 
cleanliness laws, ceremonial cleanliness laws that were such a big deal to the Jewish people. If you, if you read in Leviticus 15, Leviticus 22, you would hear how important it is. You don't touch someone who's unclean. You don't bring what is unclean into the camp. You keep yourself pure. Here's how Moses stated this in Numbers 5. This is what God spoke to him. Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp. You separate anyone who's leprous or has a discharge. Everyone who's unclean through contact with the dead. You put them out, male and female. Put them outside of the camp that they may not defile the camp in the midst of which I dwell. And the people of Israel did so. They put them outside the camp as the Lord told Moses the people of Israel did. Well, something unique is happening when Jesus touches these people. He's not unclean. There's something different about him. He comes to this lady in this unique way. He's not only going to stop and help her, but he's doing it while Jairus is waiting. And so just like we see Jairus says he's going to turn to Jesus and trust in Jesus, we're going to see that we must turn to Jesus because he loves and we can trust in Jesus because of his authority. So verse 25 She had had this discharge of blood for 12 years. She had suffered much under many physicians, spent all that she had. She's no better. She's getting worse. And she had heard the reports about Jesus. She had heard the reports about Jesus. She had heard about this man with a withered hand. She had heard about this leper that he actually touched and hugged. She had heard about this guy who was dropped down through a roof by his friends. She had heard about this man across the sea who was crazy. They couldn't bind him with chains. And then she had heard about this man that was teaching like no one else. And when people heard his teaching, they were amazed. She had heard about Jesus. So she thought, if I just touch his garments, if I could just touch his garments... See, her life is destitute. She can't go to the temple and worship. 12 years, possibly unmarried and childless. She had spent all she had. She had suffered much. She was hopeless. Her situation is like that that the great theologian Bob Dylan described. In 1989, Bob Dylan wrote a song, Everything is Broken, Broken Bottles, Broken Plates, Broken Switches, Broken Gates, Broken Dishes, Broken Parts, Streets are Filled with Broken Hearts, Broken Words Never Meant to Be Spoken, Everything is Broken. Well, that's what, that's what she's feeling like, everything is broken. And we're not told that she had great theology. We're not told she understood mysteries and prophecies. We're told she understood the dire nature of her situation and she had heard the reports about Jesus. And she turned to him in her suffering and found love. She trusted him in her suffering and found authority to make her well. She said, if I touch even his garments, and she did, and immediately, immediately, the blood flow stopped. Just going to reach out. Just going to touch him. There was power there. Hordes of people pressed about him, but somehow she connected to him, and he felt the power leave, it says. 
Now, you need to know about me, I am awful uh, at mechanics, at construction, electricity, all that good stuff. And, uh, and I had an issue with a power outlet. There's an outlet outside my house um, and we couldn't get power to it. We had had a breaker box changed and I thought, well, maybe it's just that. And my wife said, no, there was power there and now there's not power. And I, I kept checking it and, and I just couldn't get it to work. And I got a, a new pellet smoker and I really needed to try this pellet smoker because who doesn't love mediocre brisket, right? <laughs> but I couldn't get power. And so I... I I talked to Shannon Sword, who is, uh, is the Mr. Fix-It of TBC. He can fix just about anything. And, uh, and I said, Shannon, I, I don't know what to do. Do you have an electric meter? Because I knew he would. He let me borrow his electric meter. And so I go home after work, and I'm checking it, and it's not working. And I tell Shannon, there, there's, no, there's just no power there. So he's looking at it. There's no power. And he goes, now, you don't have a GFCI outlet connected to this, do you? Because if, if that were gone and it were connected to it, it wouldn't work. And I... I said, no, I mean, it's part of our house. It used to be part of the porch, but it's in our house. It's not connected to a bathroom or kitchen. No, we're good. So then we call in backup. We call David Richardson, who's an electrical engineer. We can't figure this out. And Shannon goes, well, let's just see if there's an outlet inside that's close to it. So he goes, checks that outlet. There's no power there either. And he's pulling back from it. And he goes, oh, wait, Chase, this is a GFCI. I haven't had power outside for months, right? And he just reaches down and touches it. We have power. There was power there the whole time and I didn't know it. And I don't know if people thought, oh, I'm gonna get close to this magic man or here's a prophet or here's this famous guy. Let me get near him. But something about this woman, when she touched him, there was power that a lot of people in the crowd didn't know was there and immediately the flow of blood stopped. She was physically destitute spiritually desperate and she does something that's shocking scandalous it's culturally inappropriate she touches him she reaches out in faith and because Jesus is there full of love and authority he stands as a live display of the glory grace and truth of God and the incredible becomes credible immediately the flow of blood dried up. Can you imagine how she must have been overwhelmed with joy and overwhelmed with fear? Some of you have been in pain for a variety of reasons, physical, spiritual, for 12 years or longer. Some of you have been just bludgeoned by your sin and you don't think anybody can help you. It seems like you can't get past it. But the power of God that healed her body can transform our lives today because we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus, our high priest, can sympathize with our weaknesses. Why would he help this destitute woman? Because he understood her. He could sympathize with her. I think one of the reasons that's true is kind of given to us in a prophecy about Jesus written 700 years before he was born. In Isaiah 53, it says, he was despised and rejected by men, just like this woman would have been. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief, just like this woman would have been. We 
esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. That's what people would have thought about this woman. She must be sick because she did something wrong. God doesn't love her. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed just like this woman is healed. When Hebrew says we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, it means it. Now, the disciples don't understand what's going on. He says, who touched me? And they go, you, you see this crowd and you want us to tell you who touched you? I, how, what do you mean, who touched me? But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling. She came in fear and trembling. See, she's got a struggle going on. She just wanted to touch his garment, be made well, and she could move on. But then she was made well, and she couldn't just move on. She just wanted help. We do that. We kind of all do that, this sort of subconscious prosperity gospel. We want God to give us what we want, but Jesus wants to see her, and he calls her daughter. Jairus is standing over there on the side going, what about my daughter? And Jesus, yeah, your, your daughter's my daughter, but this is my daughter. He says, daughter. She wants help and he wants intimacy. And here's the truth. There is no help from Jesus without intimacy with Jesus. And he says, you're well. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. We hear peace. The word there is shalom. So seminary president named Danny Aiken says, Jesus welcomes her into the kingdom, commends her faith, and blesses her with shalom. Spiritual and physical flourishing, connection with God that is flourishing. She has experiencing salvation physically and spiritually. And this is all great, but what, what about Jairus? Is he overwhelmed and aggravated by anxiety? Is he angry and hopeful at the same time? The, the concerned father is wondering, did Jesus hear? The sick woman has come to understand Jesus did see. Well, there's a, there's a sleeping little girl and Jesus is going to speak into that. Jairus is watching this and he doesn't understand. I mean, he came to Jesus by faith and he came during the day, not like Nicodemus who came at night hiding. He came right in the middle of the day and fell down at his feet and now people come and they say, your daughter is dead. Both the woman and Jairus came to Jesus in desperation and hope. Both came in humility. Both fell at his feet believing he could heal and the woman got healed but Jairus' daughter died. So before we go any further in this text, kind of three things that we need to know. One is that the love and authority of Jesus are not bound by your or my expectations. We kind of want to go, well, if you love me and you have power, you got to do this. But that would make us God, not him, right? The love and authority of Jesus aren't bound by our expectations. The love and authority of Jesus are not bound by what we think we are owed or how or when we believe he should act. But the love and authority of Jesus would move us to a posture of dependence and trust, turning and trust. And so Jesus 
gives a challenge. Do not fear, only believe. It's a strong imperative. It's present imperative, both for this word, do not fear, phobos, and monon pistu, only believe. It's like Jesus is making a strong command. Stop fearing and believe. And I, I wonder if anybody needs to hear that today. You live in a posture of fear. You're afraid there's something that God just doesn't have. Maybe it's a sick spouse. Maybe it's someone on the brink of death. Maybe it's a struggle in your workplace. Maybe it's a friend that's hard to talk to. Don't fear. Turn to Jesus and trust in Jesus. And then Jesus says, she is not dead, but sleeping. Well, what in the world does this mean? And the answer is, we don't, we don't know. I mean, we do know she wasn't just taking an afternoon nap, right? So, so scholars read this and they go, well, obviously, obviously she was dead. And Jesus raises her up and others go, well, maybe she wasn't dead. Maybe she's just comatose or really, really sick. I tend to lean toward the first. I probably think, she, I think she's probably dead. I've got friends I love and respect that think she's just really, really sick. Either way, a, a miracle happens. And and it's amazing. It's amazing. Because whether she was really, really sick or dead for Jesus, him, him saying if it was an afternoon nap, which it wasn't, wake up, it's no more difficult for him to go, wake up, get up, little girl, if she was dead or if she was comatose. She was one of the two. See, that's different than me. If you came to me and said, Chase, hey, can I borrow 10 bucks? I go, sure, absolutely, yeah. If you said, Chase, can I borrow 10 million? That would be a bigger issue. You ask Brad Bankhead, he's a soccer coach at UMHB, he probably makes 10 million a year, something like that, right? See, I, don't, I, I can't do that. But for Jesus, there's... He's omnipotent, he's God, he's Lord of creation. So for him, he's displaying it, whether this girl's really, really sick, like her sister, this woman with the issue of blood, or whether she has died, he doesn't lack the power. And he doesn't lack the love either. See, despite all the circumstances, Jesus wasn't actually being inattentive to Jairus's concern and was still interested in his need. So as we read the last section of this text, we might join with Jairus and his wife and Jesus's friends to just stand in amazement at what's next. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother James. This is the first time Jesus pulls aside his kind of inner circle of disciples and he's gonna let them in on what he's about to do. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. They laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. So they're mourning, historians believe, both because it happened in culture and then also because of how they respond. These are probably professional mourners. They were there for show. They're weeping and wailing loudly. 
And see, when when tragedy hits, we often do that. We weep and wail loudly, but there's really no solution. We're just angry or we're hurt or we're upset or we're putting on a show. And Jesus forces them out. It's a really powerful word, maybe similar to when he was turning over the tables. This is not a light rebuke. He physically forces them to leave. Get out of here. She's not dead She's only sleeping. And we're going to see the love and authority of God displayed beautifully in the life of this little girl. I think it's a good time to, to pause and consider as we reflect the love and authority of God as his people. Sometimes, sometimes we want to express authority from God without the love of God. And that, that doesn't work because it doesn't actually show people what God is like. Sometimes we expect the love of God, but would reject his authority. And he's Lord of all creation, including you and me. So we can't reject his authority and try to receive his love. Jesus forces them out. Listen, they're always going to be skeptics. They're always going to be people who mock those who embrace a crucified king, a God they can't see, and none of their skepticism will change the reality that he's there and he's alive. This won't be the last time a crowd mocks Jesus and Jesus proves the crowd wrong. He Just a little bit later, they'll be mocking him, spitting upon him. If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself, come down from that cross. But three days later, that empty tomb silenced the mockers and gives salvation to all who would believe we can trust Jesus because he can be trusted. Taking her by the hand, he says to her, Talitha Kumi, which is little girl, I say to you, arise. It's a term of endearment. It's like, honey, sweetheart, baby girl, get up. And she does. Immediately, the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with his amazement. We trust in Jesus because he can be trusted, not just because he's loving. He's not loving and weak, not just because he has authority. He doesn't wield his authority and wickedness, but because of his love and authority, because he's a good and gracious king, he touches this little girl. And they were overcome. And then he says, be quiet. He strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. On the Gentile side, he tells this demoniac who's healed, go and tell your village. But to the Jews, because his hour has not yet come, he says, be quiet. But who can be quiet? This daughter, like her sister, Jesus healed moments before. The fact that she would have been unclean, the fact that we don't get to know her name, the fact that her condition was impossible and her healing unimaginable did not stop the love and authority of Jesus from breathing life and salvation into a destitute situation. I read a book this week about these guys called the Matthews men. It was seven brothers, and oddly enough, their last name wasn't Matthews, it was Hodges. But they and some of their friends lived in Matthews County, Virginia. It's a coastal county in Virginia, and people still describe it, though they were there in the time of World War II, people describe it as the sort of place 
that you only go if you're going there on purpose and not many people go there on purpose. There are seafarers, captains of tugboats and barges and in World War II, they played this amazing role. They fought against U-boats. Now they didn't fight with weapons, they fought in convoys and they tried to travel around and avoid U-boats and they were getting supplies to troops. They were dropping people off at D-Day. They were taking things like sugar and steel so that both civilians and the army could have things that they needed. And here's what life looked like for them, being unknown to the world, that they would get on a boat, said boat would go out delivering supplies, it would be sunk by a U-boat, they would get on a lifeboat and do it again until they got on that one last boat where they didn't make it to a lifeboat. They were giving themselves away For the sake of others, they'd write letters and they would send cash home to their moms and their wives. They'd say, this is all the cash that I've earned. I didn't want to keep any on me on the boat because it's going to sink. But I'm sure I'll make it to a lifeboat and be fine. Can you imagine receiving those letters? But these men from this obscure place, because they're willing to give their lives for the sake of others, they changed the course of history. The tide turned against the U-boats and the Allies won the war. See, in the, in the first century, this little Roman colony of Galilee was a blip on the radar of the emperor. There's still this relatively unknown carpenter making waves, but surely he wouldn't cause a stir beyond Judea and Galilee. But with unarmed authority and unconditional love, Jesus Christ laid down his life and rose from the dead and he changed the course of history like no one has. We see the love and authority of Jesus in these situations, but never do we see it more clearly than in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what do we do with the love and authority of Jesus? Well, the love and authority of Jesus compel every man, woman, and child to turn to him and trust him as Savior and King. Now, that's true for you if you've never done it. You need life and salvation from Jesus Christ. But Christian, you've been a Christian five years, you've been a Christian 15 years, you've been a Christian 50 years. Today, you and I have got to turn to him. We've got to trust in him daily as our savior and our king. The gospel is not just what saves us, it's what keeps us, that Jesus is Lord. That's the power that pushes us. It's the wind in our sails that his spirit uses to remind us that we can turn to him and trust him today. He died to give us forgiveness from sins. He rose to give us new life as the people of God, see, he's the Lord of the Sabbath and he's the Lord of the seeds and he's the Lord of the spirits and he's the Lord of the storm and he's the Lord of the swine and he's the Lord of the sick and he's the Lord of the sleeping. He's the Lord of all creation and he's the Lord of new Creation. He is a good and gracious king, and if you're in Christ, you're a new creation, and the old has gone away and new things have come. God, we thank you for Jesus, our good and gracious king, and Lord, we pray that today, and how we interact with our, 
our spouse or our other family members or our parents or our children this week, how we interact with others at work or if we're finishing up school or in our neighborhood or in our small group, we pray that the love and authority of Jesus Christ would be reflected in our lives and would compel us daily to turn to him and trust in him to set our gaze on him and our affections for him so that we would be transformed into his likeness and equipped for good work in his name. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, and you're dismissed. Have a wonderful week.